Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm William Hosea, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 17th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. To start off with, the year was 1941. The United States was preparing to enter World War II, and it needed recruits. However, President Franklin D. Roosevelt faced a problem. Hiring discrimination based on race was still the norm in the defense industry, but civil rights leaders were organizing for change. A. Philip Randolph, who had organized and led the first African-American labor union, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, was planning a march on Washington to pressure Roosevelt to open up the military to blacks, but the president resisted. The commandant of the Marine Corps, among other officers, was strongly opposed. As the march grew closer and under pressure from his wife, Eleanor, Roosevelt conceded. On June 25, 1941, just a week before the march was set to take place, the president signed Executive Order 8802, prohibiting racial discrimination in the military or in government. At last, all branches of the U.S. Armed Forces were open to African Americans. The first African American recruits in the Marine Corps trained at Montfort Point, eventually ending the military's longstanding policy of racial segregation. The Montfort Point Marine Association is a nonprofit veterans organization established to perpetuate the legacy of the first African-Americans who entered the United States Marine Corps from 1942 to 1949 at Montfort Point, New River, North Carolina. History has largely overlooked the trailblazers who were the first Black men to serve in the U.S. Marine Corps, the Montfort Point Marines, named after the segregated section of Camp Lejeune in Jacksonville, North Carolina, where they trained. On 26 August, on the 80th anniversary of when the first Montfort Pointer set foot on the Marine base, ABC-owned television stations debuted the trailer of Our America, Mission Montfort Point. The documentary special will debut on ABC-owned stations, 24-7 streaming platforms, 32 connected TV apps across streaming platforms, Amazon, Fire TV, Apple TV, Android, Roku, and Hulu beginning September 20. Here with us to discuss the Montfort Point Marine story and the upcoming ABC documentary are Mallory Berger, Reginald Moore, and Joe Geeter, Public Relations Specialist for the National Montfort Point Marine Association. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bring It On. Thank and you for having I me. I want to start off by just asking everybody to kind of go around the horn, uh, give, give us a brief history of yourself, even though, Joe, we know you well enough. You take your mail over here. <laughs> you know, here's <laughs> but let's start off with Mallory. Tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Hi, uh, my name is Mallory Marshall Berger. I am originally from Marion, Indiana, and that's how I know Reggie. Um, and I am a uh, granddaughter of Private Maurice L. Byrne Sr. He was a Montfort Pointer. Um, I have deep roots in Indiana. Um, I have deep connections to Indiana University. And my story is, um, if you want me to go into that. Uh, are, okay, so my story is, is interesting. And I, I'm finding that it's not any different or not much different from other people that I'm running across and meeting um, with regards to Montfort Point. So my grandfather never talked about his service ever. I don't remember a single word being uttered 
actually from anybody in my family, except for one or two conversations my mom had briefly with me talking about growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, because my, my grandfather was originally from Talladega, and then the family moved to Birmingham before migrating north to, to Gary, Indiana. But um, my mom spoke a little bit about my grandfather being away from home. And I remembered that, but he never talked about anything. And I knew he was in the service because I have his photographs when he died in 96. And then my grandmother died in 2008. I went to my grandmother's house and I literally took all of, all of um, the items she had in her little uh, desk in her bedroom. And in that desk were several military related photographs, other uh, pieces of memorabilia. And I kept it and I kind of looked at things, but I didn't put put any, like, I really didn't focus on them. And honestly, I thought my grandfather had served in the army because my dad was army, my uncle was army, other family members were army as well. And so last year um, in October, I believe, I was on a beautiful website called Black Southern Bell. And um, the, the, um, the person who's responsible for that website, her name is Michelle Perry, but she's got a phenomenal website. And I was looking for like holiday recipes or something. And I stumbled across a story about Montfort Point. To this day, I can't tell you how I found it when I was searching for, you know, Thanksgiving recipes. How did a 2017 story about Montfort Point come to me? And I want to say, I believe it's from the ancestors because everything seems to be divinely uh, in alignment right now. Um, so anyway, I read the article. The article wasn't very long, but something clicked. I can't tell you what it was. Uh, it gave a brief history of Montfort Point. At the end, it told how in 2012, President Obama had signed a bill into law awarding the Montfort Point men um, or the Montfort Point Marines uh, a uh, congressional gold medal. And that if you thought that you had a Montfort Pointer in your family, this is who you reach out to. When I'm reading this article, it's literally one o'clock in the morning. And I just fired off an email to the email address that was given. It was the National Secretary of the Montfort Point Marine Association. And I think I included in that email a photograph of my grandfather in his uniform. And then I think I included a photograph of his blue book. And the next morning I got up and I'm digging through all of my little memorabilia and I find my little packet of information from my grandfather and I'm going through it. And about an hour later, I get a phone call from Mr. Joe Geeter. I will never forget that phone call. He said that the email from that I sent to the national secretary had been forwarded to him. And he simply said, let's get your grand grandfather his congressional gold medal. And he told me, you know, what I needed to find. I needed to have his discharge paperwork. And I had a little bit of a panic attack because I was looking for a DD-214. I knew what that looked like for my dad. And Joe said, no, it's not a DD-214. It's going to be a certificate. And there in my, my pile of stuff of my grandfather's was this folded up little certificate. And Joe said, I told him I thought I had it. And he said, you know, take a photo of it, text it to me. And he got it within minutes. He said, that's it. He said, let me get this, you know, let me get this processed and, you know, get your grandfather um, awarded. So after that conversation, a day or so later, I reach out to Reggie. And Reggie and I grew up in Marion, Indiana. And I said, you know, Reggie, you'll get a kick out of this since you're a retired Marine. And I tell him the story and Reggie said to me, he said, Mallory, I think my grandfather was a Montfort Point Marine. And I'm like, you're kidding me. He says, no, I'm serious. I think my grandfather. And what's, what's crazy is my grandfather was from Alabama. Reggie's grandfather, and correct me if I'm wrong, he was from Louisiana and then they, the family moved to Texas. Correct. So we don't know if our grandfathers knew each other, but the fact that the two of us, that we grew up together in a little town in Marion, Indiana, to have 
both of our grandfathers served in Jacksonville as Montfort Point Marines was just, it was amazing to me. So Reggie went through the same process as I did. He reached out to Mr. Geeter and got um, confirmation that his grandfather had indeed served. And so then we were like, okay, what are we going to do? So we had talked about uh, doing an award ceremony in our hometown. And we thought, "Mm, that's probably not the best spot. Let's take it back to where this all began. So we had the award ceremony on February 19th of 2022. And we had it at the museum, which was the the former mess hall, correct? Uh, In Jacksonville. And we came home and we said, you know, this is fantastic that we got these medals, but something's not right because we learned that out of the 20,000 men that served to date, we've only been able to find and award 2,000 of them. And Joe will speak on this, I'm sure, but the Marine Corps just didn't do a good job of keeping records. So Reggie and I were like, we've got to do something. Like this is our call to action because this is important. We've got to share our story. We've got to help find others. And since then, we've kind of been on a mission to try to help the Montfort Point Marine Association. And they've done an incredible job of trying to find these families. Um, They've done an amazing job of when they found the families and they've confirmed that indeed the the family member was a Montfort Pointer to, you know, to put, pull all stops out to get these awards given. But it's like, again, it's our call to action. It's so important for us to find the remaining, if there are living Montfort Pointers that folks don't know about, to find them. I know that's Joe's mission. And then to find the families of those who have passed. Because a lot of people don't know, because just like my grandfather, he never talked about it. Never talked about it. And again, the only way I knew was because I had that. And Joe, you know what? If I didn't have his blue book, I don't know that I would know he was even in the Marine Corps. 2,000 down, 18,000 more to go. 18,000 more to go. Joe has been instrumental in in finding a lot of those 2,000 that that have been recognized so far. So, uh, Reginald, can we get you to share your story with us and and your association with the Marfa Point Marines? Okay. Uh, Hi, my name is Reginald Moore. Uh, I am also from Marion, Indiana, a childhood friend of Mallory. Uh, my story starts back, believe it or not, about 25 years ago. Um, it was at that point in time, I had just became a father, and my son was probably two months old when my father suddenly passed from a heart attack in Texas. I was stationed at Cherry Point, North Carolina, as an active duty Marine, and I wanted to go to his funeral. So I I flew down to Texas. I grabbed up my, my dress blues because I wanted to honor him by wearing my dress blues at his funeral. And at the funeral and afterwards, you know, I was talking with my grandfather about a lot of different things. And he made mention that, hey, you know, I was a Marine too. I'm like, I had no idea that he was a Marine because like Mallory's grandfather, these are things that he never spoke about. I need my grandfather to be a very quiet and a proud person and a hardworking man. Um, but the idea of him uh, ever serving in the Marine Corps just never occurred to me. I always thought I was the only family member that ever was or had ever been, been a Marine. And as a, in the conversation, he mentioned something that just stuck with me. He mentioned the name Hash Mark Johnson. I'm like, that was a very unusual name. He mentioned some, a drone instructor named Hash Mark Johnson. Yeah, that's who I served. I'm like, never had heard of him or anything like that. You know, during my time in the Marine Corps, um, it was nothing I was taught in our history or even through boot camp. We learned a lot about a lot of different 
um, famed Marines like Chessie Puller, Dan Daly, and all these, um, and all their accolades. But the name Hashmark Johnson never was ever promoted or spoke about um, in boot camp or therefore after. So anyway, um, I just took it and stored away in my mental Rolodex. And I never really thought about it much until probably about 15 years after the fact, um, there was an event at the Mumford Point Lodge in Jacksonville uh, that um, some friends had invited me to go to. Well, like, okay, you know, I go down there and, you know, this is where I first began to become aware of the, their, their culture, the history and what, the, what a Mumford Point Marine was. And they had their, what they call the roll call picture on the wall and it was these pictures of small little small pictures of marines uh um african-american marines and there was a name rough enough there like i think that's my grandfather i'm pretty sure that's my grandfather so after that point in time because my grandfather's my grandfather was uh, his name was morris rough and he was a p he was a pfc in the marine corps at the time i mean when he was in so at that time i just started looking looking as much as i could here and there but Again, gaining zero traction, wasn't really finding much information. And I'd, I'd always come back to it every once in a while, but then I'd, get, I'd find other pursuits. But finally, that day Mallory contacted me and she was talking to me about this, about her grandfather. See, yeah, I think my grandfather was too, but I haven't been able to find anybody able to point me in the right direction as far as how to confirm that he was, in fact, you know, a Montford Point Marine. Because everyone I spoken with, they did not have the information of what, where, why, and how. I got pointed in a lot of different directions until I spoke with Mallory that night or the, that during this um, this past winter that I finally was able to make contact with Sergeant Major Young, who put me in touch with Mr. Geeter, who told me the information they needed. And thankfully, my aunt, uh, my, my grandfather's youngest daughter, still had his discharge paperwork. I contacted her. She said, yes, I do. She sent me a copy. And it was confirmed, and it was confirmed that he was a Montford Point Marine, and yes, he, he did qualify for the Congressional Gold Medal. It was that point in time that Mallory and I started talking, like she said, talking about how do we make this work together? Because what was the likelihood of two of us growing up in Marion, having grandfathers who were Montford Point Marines of men of history, and all this moment, we've got to do something to make this moment more, you know, family-oriented, more memorable for both of us to have for this moment to happen. And that's when we had our, our ceremony down in Jacksonville, and that was just an amazing event. Um, I think it was at that point that we really started to discover not just the simple fact they were the first, but started to understand, thanks to Sergeant Major Young in the ceremony, talk about what it took, what they endured, um, that this was not supposed to have happened, that this was all an experiment set up for failure, made their story that much more amazing and incredible because both of you being former Marines and myself, a former Marine, we know what we went through in boot camp. and they made sure in boot camp that they broke they broke us down in the best way they could or the worst way they knew to uh, make sure that we appreciated earning the title of Marine. That was for us. I can only imagine what was for those men in the 40s going through that during that time when they weren't meant to succeed. And that's, for me, that's where my, my heart pumps the most for is because these men did something that nobody expected them to do. This was their moment. And I guess the real gold seal on, if you will, is that they didn't talk about it, but they, were, they became very proud and very hardworking men that raised good people therefore after. They did not let the, that moment um, of 
challenge become their moment of defeat. They used it to um, become these great men that we call our grandfathers. Thank you. So, um, Joe, can you bring us up to date on what the association is involved in today? And then I have another question for you. Yeah, no problem. Um, I'm Joe Gear. I'm the National uh, Public Relations Officer. I served as national president from 2005 to 2009, and the Congressional Gold Medal was was my baby, I guess, from day one. Uh, I learned the history about Moffa Point early in my career because I worked for Moffa Point Marine uh, as a young PFC and Lance Corporal. So he got me interested in the history, and I've been teaching the history for 44 years, and I joined the association 35 years ago. And we were always trying to get the story out. We was always, I guess, second fiddle uh, to Tuskegee Airmen and the Buffalo Soldiers. Nobody really knew about us. So when I became president, one of my challenges was to get this information out. And I found out that Tuskegee Airmen received the Congressional Gold Medal. And I'm like, why not the Moppa Pointers? So I started on that journey. And as uh, Mallory said earlier, we have found a little over 2,000 families. We still got a long way to go. But ABC News... Um, uh, has done a great job of getting this word out. Uh, Mallory, I think we've got about 60, 65 in just the last two weeks. And we mm -hmm. found three living Moffa Pointers. Mm -hmm. So I got to mention our website, www.mofferpointmarines.org. All the latest information about the association, what to do if you have a uh, member that you think or a family member that you think is a Moffa Pointer. And um, it's been busy work, especially uh, for the last two weeks. Now... I remember back when Joe Geter was uh, president of the association. That's pretty much when the uh, the the journey to the gold, the congressional gold medal began, right? Yes. But tell us how difficult that was. Uh, what you had to go through. Did did you get discouraged at any point? Did someone tell you give it up? Is is too big? Uh, so tell, tell um, me many people told me that. Many uh, of my members of the members of the association told me that. And when I started lobbying the Congressional Black Caucus, I was told this may take 10 or 15 years. But luckily, I met Congresswoman, then Congresswoman Corrine Brown, who heard the story. She believed in it. She wanted to sponsor the bill. And she stayed with me for the four years it took to lobby Congress to get it done. But I was discouraged because after the 111th Congress um, turned over to 112, we lost all our supporters. So we had to start all over again. So it was really rough. But 2011 really turned the corner once the Commandant of the Marine Corps found out what, what we were doing, and he supported what we were doing, General Amos. And yeah. because of General Amos, we took it across the goal line. And uh, <clears throat> Mallory, I wanted to ask you and uh, Reggie, right now, what exactly uh, motivates you to keep going? Why, why do you think it's important for you to do this work and to pick up this ball and run with it, tell the story, so on and so forth? So when um, I was initially learning about Montfort Point, um, I was going online, like I'm a researcher by nature. I'm just nosy. So <laughs> I was online, <laughs> I was online doing as much research as I could because I will be honest with you. I think when I first realized that my grandfather, well, Joe confirmed it, after I, had the conversation with him, I was kind of dumbfounded. I mean, I didn't know how to feel. My congressional goal, I mean, it was so much information to unpack and then not to understand the history behind my grandfather's time at Montfort Point. So I really started digging and researching and I started finding stories of Montfort Pointers. And the more I dug, 
the more emotional I became about learning what these men went through. There was one story, and I cannot forget this. There was a gentleman, and I need to go back and find it so I can I can articulate his name, but he said that he had gone to Marfa Point and the abuse was rampant. He said they made him stand on the banks of a waterway, Joe, like some wherever there was water, there were mosquitoes. And they made him light up a cigarette. He smoked the cigarette. They put a bucket over his head and then they put a blanket over the bucket and made him stand at attention with mosquitoes biting him. And after that, I guess he went on liberty, went home to visit his mother. And his mother thought he had chicken pox or measles because he was bitten up so badly. And I'm like, wow, what, why would, why would they make them do that? And then as I started talking to Reggie about it, you know, the trauma that these men went through, um, the Congressional Gold Medal is the very least that should be done to honor these men. The recognition is what I'm concerned about. The stories that are not being told or that people are not finding. Um, and again, the Montfort Point Marine Association has done an incredible job of getting the stories out. But the way I found about it, found out about it was through a website called Black Southern Bell. So I was somebody that I would have never probably stumbled upon the story if Michelle Perry's website didn't have it on her website. Um, and so in talking to Reggie, you know, we were just like, I literally started reaching out to every single city that my grandfather lived in, any organization he was involved in. And I'm just calling, 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 and I'm telling them the story. And I'm like, would you please cover this? And so I did the same for some of Reggie's grandfather's um, places that he, General Motors, where he worked at. But when I would call these places and talk to them about it, they were like dumbfounded. They never heard of Montfort Point. They never heard of a Montfort Point Marine. They were dumbfounded that the Marine Corps had not had black uh, Marines for 165 years. So as that momentum started building and I had kind of um, exerted all the energy that I could or all of the resources I, I could think of, I said to Reggie, I said, what are we going to do? And Reggie said, he started kind of naming some places he thought he would contact. And we've got to mention this. So Latondra Newton, who is another person from Marion, she's uh, our families all go back. My, my, my siblings and her siblings all grew up together. Latondra is a year or two ahead of me. She's Reggie's, Reggie, I won't say your age, but she's Older than she I is. am. <laughs> Latondra um, is the chief diversity officer for the Walt Disney Company. And I keep telling people that if we don't tell our stories, nobody else is going to. So Reggie just reached out to Latondra, and I don't even, I can't even remember Reggie, but you basically said, Latondra, Tan, do you know about this? And without skipping a beat, what does she do? Well, like I said, uh, Mallory, yeah, she, uh, she took the ball and started running with it. Um, and when she gave it to me, I was like, okay, I, you know, Latondra and I had stayed in touch. We graduated high school together. Um, we pretty much have stayed in touch via social media and I've watched her grow into this amazing woman that she is to this day. And she's been actively involved in Disney and a lot of their, their, uh, projects. Um, and she is the chief, um, like she said, the chief executive officer of the diversity division. And I just sent her a simple email. I said, hey, look, here's what happened, you know. Mallory and I did this, this, and this with our, about our grandfathers. And, you know, we're trying to push the ball down the field. Now I will not lie. I did try to contact, um, here. We do have a local, um, celebrity author who his books 
take off like every time he, he's been on the Oprah list and everything. I'm not going to mention his name. However, when I brought it to his attention, because I do some work with his, uh, his private school, he declined. He was not interested. He thought I wanted money from him. And I was like, no, sir, that you've got it wrong. I don't want money from you or anything. I just want you to be able to want, you know, probably put me in touch with your media, your media contacts so we can continue to push this story because this is a story that needs to be told. And he respectfully declined. And I was okay with that. But thankfully, Tandra took it and she said, no, let's go with this. Let's go get this. And she put us in touch with um, her, her ABC. Deborah O'Connell. Yeah, yeah, Deborah O'Connell, the president of ABC. And the next thing you know, we are, you know, we're doing interviews with them. We do preliminary interviews. They love the story. They wanted it like yesterday. And they have taken, they've taken it to heart. The story, as Maori said, is a story that needs to be told that's not been told. Um, mm -hmm. These men have not been given their just um, honors or because nobody knew anything about them, whether it was by, you know, by design or not. I know from a Marine Corps standpoint and talk with my, my fellow Marines, both that were active duty now and I, that I served with uh, men of color, they had never even heard of them. And mm -hmm. they were, they were they were dumbfounded to that. Why did we not know about these people coming up in the Marine Corps? Again, it was by design, I do believe. And I think that this is the reason that I kept pushing for it, because their story needs to be told, because their story means just as much to the Marine Corps, just as much to American history as any other story about any other branch of the service. Along, like you said, the Tuskegee Airmen, the Buffalo Soldiers, their story means just as much. And it's just part of American fabric and it needs to be told. And that's what the driving force for me is to get their story out there. And if this story means that more, more of them get discovered, phenomenal. I want that. I want this to be part of the history that's taught on a regular basis, not just a, oh, this moment in black history. No, this moment mm -hmm. in American history. Um, and that's where, that's my push to put this as part of American history, not just categorize it just because they happen to be black. They did something more so than just be black men in the Marine Corps. They fought for this country when this country did not fight for them. Reggie, can I add something to what you just said about LaTondra? So I know the association and the auxiliary and Joe and Dr. Aberhart, they have done a phenomenal job of telling the stories. In fact, I learned about this radio program because somehow I stumbled upon Joe and Dr. Aberhart's interview with you all earlier this year. And the, and the interview was fantastic. I was like, wait a minute, how, you know, how did they get connected? And so, and I've also heard, I think Dr. Gina Francis, who's a member of the auxiliary, she was the, a previous national PR representative for the association. Is that correct, Joe? Uh, I think she was the chapter uh, PR for the okay. Junior chapter for the auxiliary. Yeah. She'd mentioned too, that she'd reached out to several different high level um, individuals. I think she's reached out to ABC. I think she reached out to Robin Roberts, different people. And I really truly believe the stars are aligned. This is happening right now, just by dumb luck. Cause I never even thought about reaching out to LaTondra. Really, I didn't. And again, if we don't tell our stories, nobody else is going to. So this was just an opportunity that presented itself and it's luck. And so I think it's, it's been a concerted effort of a number of different people that have got us this far. And you know, it, it's all about networking <clears throat> and relationships. And Joe, it has to make you feel good to your heart to see people like Mallory 
and Reggie who are creating their own independent network to get the story out. So do you know of any other networks that, that are out there doing this kind of work? Um, many of them on, on many different levels. Uh, we've been working with a filmmaker, Roger Mick Kamor, uh, for several years now. The working title of the movie is called Black Boots. Uh, they have a website, I think it's Black Boots the Movie. I'm also working with San Francisco State University on a graphic novel. I just saw some of the preliminary sketches yesterday and we're excited about that book because it's gonna be introduced in the school systems, hopefully starting in New York. Yeah. So we have a number of mop appointments who have written their own memoirs, a number of children that have written books, uh, specifically Eugene Mosley, who I would see Saturday. Uh, they wrote a great book about his dad, was well-researched called Footprints of the Mop Point Marines. So we're, we're attacking it on a whole um, bunch of different levels and it's exciting, like Mallory said, they're all coming together. And I think, and I believe, and I hope after this documentary is aired September 20th on ABC News and streaming networks, um, that we're gonna get a lot more attention. So this story is kind of sprouting legs. Uh, Mallory, I, I found out recently that you've been in touch with, or you're gonna be in touch with a good friend of mine, Dr. Gloria Howell, who's gonna uh, bring the story to Indiana University. My sorority sister. The sorority sister. My soror. Throw up the pinky. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. I can't do that. Yeah. Uh. So, again, I guess thinking about my connections. So I said, you know what? I'm actually writing a story for uh, Florida International University here in uh, Miami. Because I had reached out to them and I was telling them about the story. And they're like, that's incredible. We've never heard about this. Would you write your story and then we'll help, you know, um, we'll help you draft the entire the output they'll help me with. Um, and so I said, OK, if Florida International is going to do it, then I need to reach out to Indiana University because Indiana University, there are five individuals in my immediate family that descend from a Montfort Pointer. So my grandfather has my mom graduated from Indiana University. Her four children graduated from Indiana University. And then my grand, um, um, my mother's great nephew is there now. So David Harrison, he's a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. He's at university. His son, Cameron, uh, graduated from, I'm sorry, Cameron Connor graduated from Indiana University. So all of these connections, you know, um, to IU, I'd reached out to a couple of people. Actually, I had reached out to the alumni magazine and I didn't get a response. Not even a, you know, a, a, a typical email response just to let me know that they had received my uh, inquiry. So then I reached out to the Neil Marshall Black Culture Center and I talked to Dr. Howell and she was just like, oh my gosh, she was dumbfounded. Again, never heard the story. She immediately understood the historical significance of the story, just like the Tantra, immediately understood historical significance of the story. And she's like, what are we going to do? How can we tell it? How can we show the documentary? You know, what can we do? And so um, when you get that excitement, it is incredible. So she and I, like the energy, we were feeding off of each other. So she said to me, you know, she would like to show the documentary. So we've asked um, one of the executive producers for ABC has reached out to National Geographic, who's also involved in this, um, to ask them to get permission to air this documentary in some public spaces. So fingers crossed that we'll be able to do that. Okay, well, you connected with uh, the right person at Indiana University. 
I want to ask all three of you a question. Um, I keep hearing these stories about the original mom for pointers who don't want to talk about their experience. And Joe, I know you have befriended, <clears throat> excuse me, quite a few of the original mom for pointers and you, you still know quite a few of them. So I want to ask all of you uh, if you can shed any light on what you might think that reason would be that, that they don't want to talk about it. Was it some kind of trauma and they just want to put it behind them or what? So that seems to be kind of the theme um, with the family members that I've met and I've spoken to. Um, recently, I talked to the son, the youngest son of a living mom for pointer that no one, I guess, Joe, no one knew that this gentleman was still alive. And he's in the background as I'm having this conversation with his son. So apparently what had happened was the oldest son had seen the ABC um, story on the 80th anniversary of Montfort Point and the recent Congressional Gold Medal ceremony. And so he responded to that and ABC had sent over the information. So I made a phone call and the youngest son was confused. He didn't realize his brother had done this. So anyway, we'd figure that out. And I said, you know, your dad is eligible for this Congressional Gold Medal. The dad is in the background saying he wants nothing to do with the medal. He don't want to talk about Montfort Point. And I was dumbfounded. And uh, right after my grandfather received his medal, one of the things that I had told Joe I was going to do. So my grandfather actually had a photograph of his platoon. And in that on that photograph, he numbered all 34 men. He also had the names and addresses of every one of those 34 men that he served with at Montfort Point. The addresses are from 1945. So I jokingly said to Joe, I'm going to find all 33 of these men that served with my grandfather. I found seven of the family so far. One of the Montfort Pointers is still alive, Mr. Uh, George McIvory. He lives in Jacksonville, Florida. I'd reached out to one of the family members, specifically this family, because in my grandfather's blue book, he had made a little notation that this was his platoon buddy. And I said, that's incredible. Let me see if I can find the family. I found the family and they said to me that they weren't sure that they wanted to pursue this because of how their father and grandfather had passed away. He was, unfortunately, he was murdered. And I was saying to them, let's change his, this, the ending of his story. This is incredible that he did this and so on and so forth. And they were like, oh, well, we'll get back to you. That was probably three months ago. And I called Joe and I said, have you ever run into this? And he said he runs into it all the time. So I would I would hazard to guess to say that there is trauma that these men encountered at Montfort Point, in addition to just being a black man living in Jim Crow South during that time. Um, my grandfather, and we were talking about this, he left the Marine Corps. I do think he had, well, I know he had trauma because I have letters where he wrote to the VA trying to get medical coverage for injuries he sustained while he was at Montfort Point. And literally 25 years after he was discharged, he's trying to find his drill instructor to get his drill instructor to write an affidavit or to get an affidavit to help him get VA benefits for the pain that he was enduring over those 25, 26 years since leaving Montfort Point. I believe that he dealt with whatever trauma was through smoking and alcohol. And in talking to a lot of the family members the last couple of weeks, they have said the same thing, that their family member, like they were smoking and drinking and 
They never talked about it. And perhaps that was the way that they could kind of drown those memories. But I do feel like that's probably the driving force why they didn't at least talk to their families about it. They may have perhaps talked to other Mafra pointers or other individuals that served in the Marine Corps. But I do feel like that's probably why. I mean, maybe they didn't want to burden their loved ones with the stories about what they endured because um, maybe they didn't want to have to answer the, the questions as to, you know, why did that happen? Um, and maybe they just wanted to protect us from the stories of the things that they went through. I mean, that's the only thing that I can I can figure out maybe is, is the reason why they didn't talk about it. For our listening audience, we're speaking with Reginald Moore and Miss Doggone It. I'm sorry, Mallory, I forgot your last name. Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R. And Mr. Joe Geeter all advocates for the National Point Marine Association and actively seeking to tell their story. So Reginald, have you had a similar experience? Uh, to be honest with you, other than my grandfather not talking about it, I cannot honestly say that, but I can understand having been a combat vet myself, what you go through in those moments, you don't, it's not something you share in a grand way or if at all, it's something you just say, I, I got through it. And I'm on the other side. I don't need to look back at that anymore. And you carry it with you, as I'm sure all any person who's went through any kind of traumatic experience or combat, if you will, you don't, it's nothing you, you're not a rah-rah person about it. If you were, then you didn't experience it because there's nothing joyful about trauma like that. And those kind of challenges, you, you step into it knowingly or unknowingly, and then you make your best to survive it. And I think this is what these men did. They survived it. Um, they were, they had the benefit, and I will say this with great, great respect and awe, they had the benefit of being around one another and depending on one another, because you got to think about it. Nobody, absolutely nobody was there for them, but their brother on their left and their right. And that was what got them through it because there's no other explanation. There is no, I mean, you can do a lot of things on your own, but getting through something like that, you're going to have to have that, that brother on your left and your right to help you in those moments or you to help them because there's no other way. There's no other way for what they, what they experienced. Just the thing is like what Mally was talking about. You cannot sit there and say that an individual took that kind of treatment and then went back to his, his hut and said, I'm cool. I'm good. Don't worry about it. I'm tough. No, he went back feeling less than a person, less than a man, because that's the way they treated him. And it was up to those men around him who were going through that same experience to help him understand it. Now, you're going to ask think, them. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, sir. Please, go ahead. I think Mallory hit on something uh, interesting. And you kind of suggested that after they were traumatized from just the experience of being Black and being in the Marine Corps, mm -hmm. then these men were traumatized all over again trying to get uh, their benefits mm -hmm. right. serving on active mm -hmm. duty. And mm -hmm. that probably wasn't the end of it. They were probably traumatized in many other ways that we don't even know about. Correct. But Joe, uh, when you consider the Congressional Gold Medal, the books that have been written, the documentaries, the national exposure, the stories getting out there, do you think those things are gonna help these men to deal with the trauma and encourage them to come forward and feel better about telling their story. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I really do. Uh, and I believe the moth appointees that are still living understand that they have a responsibility to tell the story. So they're starting to open up more too. I grew up in my grandfather's house, a World War II veteran of the army. My uncle served with the Moffa Pointers as a Navy corpsman, and my dad was a pharmacist during World War II. So I grew up with three World War II veterans, and like Mallory, never had one conversation about their experiences. I didn't find out what they did until after they died, and I wish I could have had that conversation with my Uncle Bob about serving with the Moffa Pointers in Guam, or my grandfather as a driver for the Red Ball Express. He was on Normandy about eight days after the landing uh, of 6 June, 1944, and served in three major campaigns with the 57th Ordnance Company. And I wish I could have talked to him about it. I've done research, so I know what his unit did, but I don't know his personal experiences, but they were tough. And not only the boot camp was tough, and then 12,000 of these Mapa Pointers served in the Pacific, uh, 2,000 alone on the Battle of Okinawa. So they had some war trauma along with the racial and civil trauma they was dealing with. So it's amazing that most of them came out pretty good on the other side. Um, many of them married their high school sweethearts. They had children and pushed education. Uh, Sergeant Wilcox has two sons, original Moffa Pointer. One's an astrophysicist and the other's a pantheontologist. So, um, and he's from Des Moines, Des Moines, Iowa. Um, so he wouldn't have had that opportunity to get his education and to pass the education on to his kids if not for the experiences he dealt with at Moffa Point. So Joe, what about the display in the uh, Marine Corps Museum? Uh, it's getting better. Uh, the, um, the Museum of the Marine Corps and Quantico had a, um, a haphazard display, if you will, but it's right. getting better. Um, the same thing with the um, African-American Museum of History and Culture in D.C. Um, they are getting better. Uh, our museum, the Mapa Point Museum in Jacksonville, is by far the best um, um, museum as far as telling a story about Mapa Point other than my basement, maybe. Um, but they're finally, um, <laughs> these museums are finally understanding and families want to donate their artifacts. I talked to a daughter today who told me she has some stuff for her dad she would like to donate. So the story is coming out. Um, these men are finally getting their just recognition. Our job is to find them. So again, I'm going to reference our website. Please go to our website. If you know of anybody uh, Black that served in World War II and was a Marine, uh, chances are great, almost certain, that they were a Moffa Point Marine. So please reach out to the Moffa Point Marine Association at www.moffapointmarines.org. So Mallory and uh, Reginald, what's next uh, on your agenda? Do you have anything uh, specific or another major project on the horizon? And, and where, where do you see yourself doing this work five years from now, if you still, if you still think you're going to be doing this? advocating for the uh offer pointers well so until for 20, me, oh, go oh go ahead reggie until the twenty thousand are are found twenty thousand families okay. are found and until their names are up on that wall and that was our motivating factor when we got our medals and we walked yeah. to that wall and we saw stars with no names we're like that can't we can't have that because these were these men existed these men mattered so until those twenty thousand names are up there yeah we're gonna be at it or well, i'm gonna be at it i know mallory will be too yeah I'm going to continue doing whatever I can do to support. Um, I recently was introduced to Colonel, retired Colonel, Army Colonel Edna Cummings, who was instrumental in helping the 6888, um, the Women's Army Corps. Um, they just were awarded their Congressional Gold Medal. And I know she's probably doing the same thing or wants to do the same thing that the Montfort Point Marine Association is doing. 
to try to find all of those who served uh, the 6888. So I don't know, you know, I never imagined we would get to this point. Never imagined this is where we would be, but we're here and it's incredible. And whatever I can do, because for me, I am honoring my grandfather's legacy and I feel a responsibility to do this. It's, I never thought twice about doing any of this and whatever I need to do to help families locate their um, you know, paperwork, their information. I mean, I've been volunteering with some of the families that knew that they had a family member, but don't have the information. I'm like, hey, reach out to me. I have access to genealogical databases. I can dig and see what I can find you because it is important that you get this recognition for your father, grandfather, um, loved one. Reggie, I wanna ask you though, will you tell the story about your grandfather? Didn't you confirm he was one of the first to step foot on the land in Jacksonville? He was. For me, that's like, that's incredible. He, so my grandfather, he enlisted in 42. Um, he was there. He showed up at Montford Point in April. This place didn't stand up to August of that year. So he was down there helping to clear the trees and set up the barracks, the bivouacs, and so on and so forth. He was only 16 years old. My grandfather was not a big person. He was a small, I think at that time, he, my grandfather never got taller than maybe five foot six. And as a 16-year-old, I think he's maybe weighed 120 pounds, 130 pounds. Um, so he's down there dealing with all of that and still managed to stay there long enough and endure enough, endure it all to become a Marine and stay in for five years therefore after. Uh, this was something that just, it was just amazing. I couldn't imagine today or even myself at 16 going through that, experiencing all that mm -hmm. to become a Marine. And he did it. And like I said, if you were to see my grandfather, my grandfather was a very small person, small frame person, but he carried a lot of weight as a 16 year old going through all that. Mm -hmm. So Joe, how has the uh, association benefited from, from the increased exposure about the Martha Point story? Um, it has benefited. Uh, Philadelphia chapter alone, I've gained three new members just since August 26th of people I've met, people that heard about the story. So we're growing the association. We want to grow it with younger folks so we could be around for another 57 right. years. We just celebrated our 57th years in association along with the 80th year of Moffa Point Camp uh, opening up. Uh, so we want this, this association to continue on even after the last Moffa Pointer that we know of um, passes away. Uh, this legacy should live on and on and on, and I hope it does. And you stood up a new chapter recently too, right? Uh, actually two, we stood up chapter 46 in Las Vegas. And we stood up chapter 47 in Charlotte, um, um, Charlotte? North Carolina. South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina. Charleston. And we're, we're working on the chapter right now in Alabama. Um, so it's gonna, it's gonna help grow this association. We need to grow. Well, you know, Joe, I was seriously uh, considering joining uh, the Philadelphia chapter, but now that you stood up that one in Vegas, we might have to <laughs> Yeah, well, so Philadelphia, we have members in California, Florida. We got members all over the country because yeah. they hear what we do. We keep them informed, and they want to be a part of us. So I'm a former recruiter, so I've been accused of, uh, of poaching. Um, but if nobody's going to take care of them, we'll take care of them in Philadelphia. So I'm also uh, kind of curious about the role that General Amos played. Now, I remember going to the... Uh, a convention in Atlanta where he spoke. And by the way, I tried telling that joke that he told about, about the truck 
it worked for him. Not not so much. <laughs> but anyway, so so you had the support of the commandant of the Marine Corps back then. Has that carried on to his successors? Do you get the same level of support? Um, not really. Uh, General Amos, and I knew him when he was Colonel Amos when we was at Marine Corps Station Buford. Uh, yeah. When he heard of what I was doing in Congress, I literally got, I guess, called on the carpet. Uh, he called me uh, up to uh, Eighth and I to his house in D.C. and asked me, you know, Master Gunny, what are you doing? And I explained to him what I was doing. And he said, do you know I have a, con uh, uh, a congressional lobbying team in the Capitol? And I told the commandant, I said, I'm sorry, but I've never seen them. Uh, and he called the Brigadier General in and introduced me to the team in the Capitol. And this was in the summer of 2011. And that really gave us our last push because our bill made it to the floor of Congress in October 2011. And it passed 422 to zero. And then about 10 mm -hmm. days later, it made it through the Senate. And then, then President Barack Obama signed Public Law 11259, uh, a bill I wrote upstairs in my bedroom. The president signed that into law. So that was um, a significant year, 2011. And then 2012, the medals were awarded. It was. And I remember that year. That year, I was still in Bloomington. And I was on the uh, black, the city of Bloomington's Black History Committee. Mm -hmm. And we honored the Montfort Marines as part of uh, Black History Month. And I remember in my opening remarks that year saying how we had a Congress who couldn't agree on anything. Obama right. was president, but they did come together and pass that resolution for that, that uh, congressional gold medal for those Montfort Pointers. Right. So that, that was a, uh, uh, a really big event that year in Bloomington, Indiana. Huge. And uh, since then, you know, we tried to do our part on this radio show to, to tell the story. Joe's been, this is what, your third time here? I think so. And I want to thank Bring It On for uh, continuing to tell this story because the more it's told, the more people will talk to other people. And mm -hmm. the connections, but when they finally get to me or Mallory, are amazing. I had a friend in Raleigh who called me in Washington who said they do somebody in Philly. And then my phone rings. So it's been incredible. And it's going to get busier. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So um, that's our hope. That's our hope. Yeah. Go ahead, Reggie. No, I said that's our hope. That was uh, been the push the entire time um, for myself and for Mallory is to get their message out to get so that more people will become aware so that these men can get their their honors that they rightly deserve. So that's been our push the entire time. So if Joe, if you're getting calls, good. I hope you get more. I hope you. I hope you. <laughs> I I hope you get your. I hope your phone burns up, Joe. <laughs> it will. And people ask me, um, you know, during the first push, if you will, back in 2011, 2012, uh, I personally talked to over 800 families, so it was busy. But I just had to consolidate consolidate those into one list. Now we're actually awarding them, so it's a little bit more work now, but it's much more fun. I'm loving it. Good. So, Joe, same question to you that I asked uh, Mallory and Reggie. What's next for you? Big, the big, big projects. What's next? The big thing is the movie. It's got to be the movie. We got we went to get this thing on the, uh, the big screen. We've had two documentaries, one in 1997 that the Department of Defense did, and one in 2006 that we helped, when I say we, the Moffat Point Marine Association partnered with South Carolina State and the University of North Carolina Wilmington to put out a documentary that Lou Gossett uh, did the voice from and Lou Gossett has been an advocate and a friend uh, for 15 years. So we've got a whole bunch of hands and a whole bunch of pots and and we're just waiting for them to all boil and they're starting to boil. And there's been other Hollywood celebrities who've come on board to support the effort, right? 
Uh, yeah, John Amos from Good Times. He's been a, a, a heck of a supporter. He actually uh, voiced over 11 uh, PSAs, public service announcements that you can see on our webpage. So go listen to John Amos talk. But John has been a, a good friend, a good supporter, and uh, I've enjoyed my time with him. Now, I know since you've, uh, since you've been uh, getting the story out there that you, you've probably come across some of the other uh, organizations from Buffalo Soldiers, Tuskegee Airmen. How, how do they react or, or how do they interact with you when you talk about the Marfa Pointers? Well, I can only speak from the local level in Philadelphia, which we have Buffalo Soldiers and Tuskegee Airmen um, chapter here. And we've worked beautifully together. Many times we follow each other on the stage during Black History Month events. Now I'm actually going to interview a Tuskegee Airman, Dr. Eugene Richardson, um, on the Marine Corps birthday on November 10th. Uh, he's one of the last living pilots of Tuskegee uh, in Philadelphia. So I'm excited to interview him because I have followed Dr. Richardson many times on the stage and I don't want to follow him. Because <laughs> at 80 years old, he was still doing PowerPoint presentations and then I show up. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, but I think we've all worked together. The Buffalo Soldiers, on the other hand, do not have a central organization that represents all of them, the 9th and 10th Cavalry and all of those units. And they, they need to centralize because they deserve this Congressional Gold Medal as well. Uh, but they just haven't got this stuff together yet. So I didn't realize they didn't have a uh, central organization. Now, they have a lot of chapters, um, yeah. a lot of you know, 9th um, uh, and 10th um, uh, it's the Cavalry Infantry, but they have a lot of they're kind of um, fragmented, or if you, yeah, if you will, yeah. they don't have one national office like we do. We have one national president for Marple right. Point. Tuskegee Airmen have one national president. I worked with um, the guy that was national president when I was national president, but the Buffalo Soldiers don't have that yet, and I hope they do. Okay, so we're getting to the point where we need to land the plane. I'm gonna uh, go to mm -hmm. Mallory and uh, ask her to give us some, some parting words. Just want to say thank you for allowing us to to talk tonight. Um, I do want to give a little shout out to the Indianapolis Marfa Point Marine Association chapter. It exists. They need members. Um, and I was told to date they've only found Joe. I think it's seven or eight Marfa Pointers from Indiana, and I know there are far more than that in the state of Indiana, especially in the Gary, Indiana, the region up north. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm just, again, I, I'm so grateful of you all for allowing us to share our stories tonight and keep watching because great things are going to come out. You're going to hear more about Marfa Point. You're going to hear more stories. You're going to see a movie. You're going to see a lot of great things coming out. By the way, if you find anyone from my hometown of Gary, Indiana, please let us know. Um, cause Clarence and I. Uh, are both from Gary, and we would really know that. Okay. any kind of uh, ceremony or or recognition event. Okay. Um, so, Reggie, uh, just if you know, do the research. I mean, we'll help you find the information that you're looking for to determine if your grandfather's been or was a Montfort Point Marine. Do just don't let their story die. Do not let their story pass right. with them passing. Right. Their story is too great of a story to not be told and shared with the world, not just with fellow Marines or Marines families, but with the country as a whole, because they all were and are great men of honor and they are a great part of American history. 
and that they deserve to have that recognition. So just don't let the story die. Yeah. Okay. And don't throw things away. I, that was another theme. Folks were saying that when someone passes away, they're throwing stuff away. I'm like, no, don't throw it away <laughs> because you may have some very important pieces of history that, that Joe would like to see. We would all like to see it. Yeah. So don't throw, talk to your grandfather, talk to your father, talk to your uncle and don't throw stuff away. <laughs> And you know, I would add to that, uh, I would encourage everyone to, to hang on to whatever memorabilia uh, mm-hmm. from your ancestors, mm-hmm. no matter what period of time they served in. That's right. I, we just moved into our house here a couple of months ago and I was unpacking some stuff and I found some of my uncle's uh, ribbons and medals. He served in the Vietnam War, he's deceased now. Uh, but I'm, I'm definitely hanging on to all of his, uh, yeah. his military uh, awards also. So, folks, on that note, I want to thank our guests, Mallory Berger, Reginald Moore, and Joe Geter for joining me to discuss the profound history of the Marfa Point Marines and the upcoming ABC documentary, Our America, Mission Marfa Point, which is scheduled for September 20th. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have any ideas for this program, we would like to hear what they are. Please send your emails to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Bringiton's executive producer is Clarence Boone. Tonight's co-producer is yours truly. Our assistant producer is Liz Mitchell, show consultant and WFHB News Department director is Mr. Cade Young. Program engineer is Chantal LaFontaine. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effian with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.